Sarah. Oh, the air is changing. It is colder out. I hope you guys are feeling nice and cozy. Maybe get yourself a warm mug of something that you love to drink. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's tea. Heck, maybe for this episode, you'll need a little whiskey. We've got such an interesting guest on this week. I am so excited to introduce her. And just a fair little trigger warning up top. Up top, we are talking about death and grief. So if you're not in a headspace to talk about that right at this very moment, completely understand. But also, hey, maybe this is exactly what you need if you are personally going through any of these life's moments. Uh, this week's guest, I am so inter- so happy to introduce her. She is a widowed mom who changed her career to become a post-traumatic growth and grief expert and life coach to help other widowed moms learn to love their lives again. She is also the host of the Widowed Moms podcast. Welcome, Krista St. Germain. Thank you. It's always, it's always nice when other people want to talk about grief and it's not just me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was like anxious and nervous because we, it, it's such a taboo subject matter, I guess. Like what's the best way to start this podcast off to just shake off any like nervousness or, or, um, uh, excited energy. What's the best way to just be like, ah, oh, we're talking about this. Yeah. Like that's just it. Right. It's like, the, that's why it's so uncomfortable because we don't talk about it. So all we have to do is just talk about it and then it gets mm. easier. Mm. Okay. Well then let's like get right into yeah, it. I guess the, the obvious slash maybe not so obvious question is why would you get into this work yourself? Didn't plan on it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I did. This was never in my plan. So uh, <clears throat> when I was 40, I'd been through my first marriage kind of went down in flames, hmm. uh, got married again, redemption story, right? Like perfect guy, Aww. proof that you can be treated the way that you deserve and want to be treated and that relationships can be easy. And I was just on this real high in my life. And we, we had gone on a trip. We were coming back and we'd driven separately and I had a flat tire. And so I pulled over onto the side of the shoulder of the interstate and he pulled up behind me. and typical stubborn man did not want to call triple a just let me change the tire myself i'll Mm. you know baby i can get to it faster Mm. we'll get home i just want to get home and so i'm standing on the side of the road and i'm texting my daughter who was 12 at the time and telling her that we're going to be late and he's getting into my trunk and trying to get the tire the spare tire and a driver who i mean it's broad daylight it's like 5 30 right oh wow um did not see us did not see the hazard lights and then of course we later found out that he had meth and alcohol in his system and oh. crashed in between yeah it crashed into the back of hugo's car trapped him in between his car and my car mm-hmm. and it was just as one can imagine awful right mm-hmm. so within 24 hours he was gone And I went from my life is amazing to, I don't know if I'll ever be happy again. Mm. Right. So, um, yeah, just went immediately back to, thank goodness I had a great therapist in my pocket Mm. from my divorce who had been so helpful. And so I went back to her and Mm. fast forward kind of got to the place where I was back at work and back to functioning and not in the fetal position all day. Mm. And, and everyone was telling me, you're doing so great. Mm. Right. And I can see why they were thinking that because I probably looked like I was doing great because I was functioning and Mm. I did look okay, Mm. but how I felt on the inside was not that great. It wasn't Mm. awful, but it wasn't great. It was kind of hollow and robotic and, you know, kind of meh. 
Um, and at that point it was like, I don't know, divine intervention that I happened to find a life coaching program and discover mm -hmm. life coaching and therapy was very helpful for other reasons. But what I learned from the coach that I worked with really started helping me shift things and gave me tools I didn't have before. I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about post-traumatic growth. I really didn't know how to actually go about the process of creating what I wanted and feeling empowered again in my life. Mm -hmm. And so when I figured that out, then I decided, okay, this is, this is what I've got to do. I need to quit this corporate job and mm -hmm. go help some people. Right. Cause oh. it didn't, the corporate job was paying the bills very well, but it wasn't bringing me a lot of joy or meaning. Mm. I guess yeah. my next question is, and thank you for sharing. Um, what is post-traumatic growth? You said that. And I thought, I haven't heard that one before. I, right. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard it and it was like a record scratch. You're like, yeah. like what? <laughs> um, so post-traumatic growth is a, a phrase that was coined in the mid nineties by a couple of researchers, Tadashi and Calhoun were their last names. And prior to their work, it was thought that there was this baseline of, of wellness or life satisfaction that you would experience. And then you would have something traumatic happen and your wellness or life satisfaction would dip. Mm -hmm. And the goal at that point in time was just to get you back to where you were, right? Like to go back to that mm. level of wellness. And that was kind of the best you could hope for. And what they started noticing was that some people uh, were actually going beyond that. Some people were actually reporting greater levels of life satisfaction. And, mm. and so they started studying why, why is that happening and how do we make that happen? And so it really just kind of reframed what, people thought was possible after something happened that you could actually take what had happened to you and, and not go on, you know, it's, it's like, do you want to bounce back or do you, don't, do you want to bounce forward? You can bounce forward, not in spite of what happened, but actually because of it, mm. right? Because of what you decided to do mm. with it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's Pretty crazy. It, I mean, it's, it, in its most extreme form makes perfect sense when it comes to death, but it also, mm -hmm. um, I recognize that in situations that, you know, as someone who has dealt with depression, where it always felt like I could, I didn't know how to get out of these dips and mm -hmm. I had always, you know, used medication or now I'm, you know, discovering like the psychedelics and things like that, mm -hmm. ketamine treatment, things that are helping. But the idea that it's not something that has to consume us, it can, it can certainly define us and live with us, but it doesn't mean that your life is over or yeah. done or that you've hit the peak growth or trauma in your life. Like life will yeah. go on in a sense. Yeah. I like to, you know, before we started recording and you asked me where I'm from, I'm from Kansas and we have a lot of tornadoes here. And I like to think about it. Like, you know, if someone comes along, like a tornado comes and knocks your house down, mm. right. You didn't ask for that. It just happened. Right. And if you're going to rebuild your house because it got knocked down, you have some options. You could, mm. you could go back and, and rebuild a house. That's very close to the house that you had before that, that would be fine. Right. But also you've lived in that house for a while. You've learned mm. some things because mm. you've lived there. So mm. you could also say, well, you know, I would like a different kitchen layout. I would like more <laughs> natural light. I would like, you know, something different. And, and you take those life experiences into account. And then when you rebuild, you mm. build something that's even more aligned with what you want. Mm. Right. And it is, it's not an insult to the prior house. Mm -mm. It doesn't no. mean anything about what got knocked down. It just means if I, if I have learned from living, why not apply that knowledge mm. and create even more of what I want? Whew. 
I mean, the alignment part in, in a way, it's not like a do over, but it's a second chance to, to frame your life in a way that is meaningful and purposeful. Like kind of how you said that, that gives you more joy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when, you know, when you lose something or someone important to you, I think it's, it's, it's it hurts like hell, but it's also a great wake up opportunity. It's a great mm. chance to just check in with yourself and say, mm. am I really making the contribution that I want to make? Am I living the life I want to live? Mm. Is this the way I want to spend my days? Mm. And for me, the answer was in some ways, yes, mm-hmm. but in many ways, no, mm. you know, and, and yeah. you, it's so easy to just get stuck in the autopilot of life, Yes, which, you know, as a 40 year old woman, that's, that's where I was. Mm-hmm. Right? You just go to work, mm-hmm. you do the kid things, you pay the bills and you, you don't question it. You just do it. Yeah. And the universe had a different plan for you. Yeah. The universe was like, just she kidding. Really went, she really went, you're going to get a new plan. Just kidding. Here you go. Right. Um, and your husband's name, Hugo? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, He's French Canadian. I yeah, love the so, name. Yeah. French was his first language. And so, yeah. Is it okay to speak about him a little bit? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. great. Uh, I figured as much. Um, I think yeah. what, what, happened with Hugo feels like people's, you know, worst nightmare is their first thing that like popped to mind. Like this is the worst possible thing to happen. You're in love. You've got this family and it's, I feel like from an outsider's perspective of like, it's inherent to just go like, that's my biggest fear. Therefore, I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to positivity be there for Krista. I'm just going to cook food or show up how she needs me. It's just people don't want to go there, but you didn't have a choice. The the universe put you there to feel all of that. And I wonder how Hugo would feel about your shift and your turning your pain into purpose. Do you think about that? I do. Ultimately, I think he'd be super proud of me, but honestly, he would not have been bought into the idea of leaving my safe job to Mm. go become a life coach. (laughs) Like he, he would have not been in that at all. Um, and I joke about it. His first wife and I are friends and she actually Uh. is a coach as well. Oh no way. we, We both joke about how he would just be like, what are you doing? So we worked at the same company. Oh my um, gosh. He'd been there for 20 years. He was, a, wow. he was an electrical engineer and, wow. you know, just total avionics guy. And, and yeah. So, yeah, the idea of, of me leaving to do this, he would have thought was absolutely nuts. But <laughs> I think seeing what I have done with it and that I actually could be successful, yeah, he would be really proud. Yeah. Yeah. And what are, like we talked about, there are stages with grief, right? And I have to imagine... Is there an extra added layer when you were there? I mean, mm. I wonder if people connect over, you know, the death of a husband or a loved one, but is there something extra when you had to watch it that you felt like yeah. my grief went way more fucked up, excuse my language, than you guys is? Yeah. I mean, like, I see so many people comparing their grief and I don't Mm. think there's really any value in that, Mm. right? Because whatever we're feeling, it's, it's not something that needs to be worse or better than another person to be valid. Oh, right. So like I, it, it pains me when people say, well, you know, it was really awful for me, but it was so much more awful for that person, Mm. but, and just, and minimizes their own experience. Right. Mm. Or when people say, you know, yes, it was awful for you, but it was so much more awful for me. 
right? There's just no value to me in that compare and despair. It doesn't take us anywhere positive. It, it's, you know, if we want to connect over it, it's, it was hard for me and I see that it was hard for you. And like the, that part of me that's hurting sees the part of you that's hurting. Right. And then, mm -hmm. and then we connect and support. Mm -hmm. um, but for me personally, yeah, that witnessing that it was a whole different level of junk that my nervous system held onto that I had to figure out how to let go of. Right. So mm -hmm. sirens and police cars. And anytime I saw somebody pulled over on the side of the highway and CPR scenes and movies and, you know, a lot of that Oof. stuff that just the, the grief grenades, as I call them, mm. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Right? <laughs> and, it, and it took, right. it took a long time to resolve some of those. And sometimes mm. I still have moments where I go back there for whatever reason, something triggers and it's kind of like, I'm right back there. At, at yeah. The accident. It's most, it's mostly stuff I've worked through, but sometimes mm. Yeah. Can't can't yeah. say I particularly enjoyed that. And then there was the complication of it being, you know, a crime, right? Like that guy went right. to court and we had to deal with all of that and he got sentenced and, mm -hmm. you know, being there for that. And then there was what happened at the hospital. There were some complications there where a procedure went wrong and mm -hmm. some ugliness in the hospital. And so, you know, every loss has its its differences. Uh the commonality is that it's just it's challenging. So I went through a grief of a personal loss of um, a surgery gone wrong. And my, I had to grieve sort of the life I had before that surgery and then who I was after and the process of even of, of going towards litigation against the hospital or the doctor was so overwhelming that I tapped out. I went, it's not worth it. I can't do this. Like I can't do this on top of the pain. And so to hear you not only having to go through the court system with the driver and then also this issue with the hospital, how did yeah. you have the strength to not tap out? And were there things you did tap out on? Were you like, this is not good for my mental health right now? Did you put things on pause? I can't, I can't fathom trying to do all of that at once. I think in, in parts, I think I was still numb in some of it. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the brain has a beautiful way of, of trying to keep us from the full depth and breadth of all of that emotion at one time. And so we can mm. be a little numb. And so I think in those early days, a bit of that was just numbness. It was kind of oscillation between feeling bits of the pain and then just kind of like being in a movie that of a life that you kind of knew was your life, but wasn't. Mm. Um, but the court stuff, you know, we didn't actually end up going to court over the hospital and the man who caused the accident ended up pleading guilty. So didn't actually have to testify. I was so grateful for that. Wow. But, um, you know, it was about a year later when he actually got sentenced. And so, you know, did participate in that process. I think by then I had a, a completely different perspective. I'd done a lot of work. I'd done a lot of um, really thinking about him and, and how I wanted to relate to him and what I wanted mm. to believe about him. And, you know, it was a conscious choice that I made to forgive him and to forgive, you know, what happened in the hospital. Um, and just being able to express that actually was, was really healing for me, right. you know, not to say yeah. that it is that way for everyone, but for me to be able to tell him, Hey, you know, don't let this define your life. Like you don't, you don't have meth and alcohol in your system at five 30 on a Sunday when your life is going well. Right. Right. Exactly. Like that's, yeah. it's not like he intended to cause that accident. Does that mean I don't believe he should, you know, have a, you know, a penalty of some sort? No, 
Um, but do I think he did it on purpose? Also, no. Do I want him to live the rest of his life, you know, suffering and in pain and unable to, mm. to contribute to society? Also, no. So, mm. yeah, I wouldn't mm. recommend. <laughs> if you can avoid these kinds of situations, can't say I recommend them. Um, but, you know, you get through. I think I also did a really good job of allowing myself to feel and support myself as I felt. I think I could see the value of that pretty early on that, you know, yeah. emotions are going to wait for us. And if we can just support ourselves and let them flow through life gets so much easier. Grief gets so much easier. Yeah. I mean, speaking to that, I wanted to go through like, why do we suck so much as a society at grief? Because I think we've mm -hmm. all heard of the five stages. Do you believe in it? What's wrong with it? Are there only five stages? Is it a circle? Yeah. Is it a graph that never ends? Tell me your thoughts. Yeah. Is that out of curiosity, before I tell you my thoughts, do you know any other grief theories besides the five stages or is that what you're familiar with too? Only because I am writing my book on chronic pain uh, in, uh -huh. in cycles of grief. I know about like the other two that is like the try okay. again and the growth, but no, I haven't heard okay. anything that, okay. that still yeah. is coming off of the five stages. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was one of the things that was so frustrating to me when I found myself having the grief experience is that the only grief theory I knew about was the five stages. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know that much about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think, so I think it's important to understand that just like any other field of study, there are multiple theories about grief, right? Many theories about grief. Mm -hmm. And our, mm -hmm. our culture just happened to latch on to the five stages. Uh, it's just the one you hear about. It's often the one doctors are taught about in medical school, right? So, so it's, oh. it's perpetuated because it's, it's commonly known, but by no means is it all that useful, to be honest. And, and the reason I say that is because first of all, it, it came out of a study of the dying process, right? Someone coming mm. into acceptance of their own mortality, their own terminal diagnosis, right? It was a study on hospice patients. Ah, ah. Who were actually right? So, so Elizabeth Kubler Ross it's wrote not even from the, the book. right point of view. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it was on death and dying, and then that work was extended to on grief and grieving, and <sighs> and so, yes, some people do experience anger. Yes, some people do experience denial, and yes, some people do bargain and depression and acceptance and all these things. They can be parts of the grief experience, but the sad thing about it is that people took her work and made it mean, okay, first you're supposed to be in denial, right? They made it linear and then you're supposed to get angry and then you're supposed to bargain and ultimately you will reach acceptance. And so that's first of all, never what she intended for, for people mm. to do with her work. And, and so it ends up, you know, instead of using it as, uh, okay, this could happen. And so I can support myself if it does, we took that and went, am I angry enough? Am I too angry? Mm. Right. Should I be Oof. like trying to compare yourself into these little, you know, square peg and round hole kinds of moments, as opposed to what she really intended was to say, Hey, don't, you know, if this could happen and nothing has gone wrong mm. if it does. And this often happens, mm. but any emotion can be part of grief and it certainly isn't linear. And there's definitely no endpoint. And that's in part why I think we suck at grief as a culture, because we don't know anything more about grief than one theory and we've misinterpreted it. We use language like grief journey, which kind of implies there's an end, right? Yeah. We think, we think there's some right or wrong way to do it. So many people get right. into grief and they don't trust themselves. 
Mm. Right. They don't trust that they, that they can navigate it. And so then they go looking for everything outside of them. And that is not where, that's not where it exists, right? You can't do it wrong. You can't mess it up. It, unless we can undo the loss, it's not going to end. And that doesn't mean you Mm -hmm. don't feel differently, right? Mm -hmm. But the idea is that instead of thinking of grief as something that ends, we just start thinking of it as, Hey, this loss happened, right? And now I'm going to weave that into the fabric of my life experience so that I adjust to it, but I can't undo Mm -hmm. it. And, Mm -hmm. and having thoughts and feelings about it continuing on for years and years doesn't mean I've done anything wrong. Of course, you're going to have thoughts Mm -hmm. and feelings about a loss, Mm -hmm. right? And of course they're going to evolve over time, Mm -hmm. but are we choosing them on purpose? And are we creating an experience that moves us toward what we want or away from what we want in life? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I'm interested in helping people do is do it consciously, do it with intention instead of just believing. Like if I had just believed the thought in my mind that my best days were probably behind me, I I really had that thought. Like my best days are probably behind me. You should just get used to this. Like you should just count your blessings and be glad that you had it. It's probably never going to get that good again, but you're going to make it. You're going to be okay, but you're just never going to be really happy again. Yeah. Right. And that felt factual to me at the time. Yeah. That didn't feel optional. Wow. Right. So, so now that's not what I believe at all. Right. I've, I've cultivated and chosen to believe that my best days are ahead of me. Mm. Mm. Right. Which is so different. It's not wrong that I believe what I believed. It's just not a move toward what I want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think grief, like you said, it's such a blanket sometimes that you believe it to be factual, that it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we don't even know, I mean, science is just now kind of starting to show us what happens in the brain during grief. Like there's so much, I think we're really in the early days, right. Of what happens. Well, I mean, you think about it, you know, I don't know what kind of grief experiences you've been through, but just to give an example, right. The brain is, is, is always making predictions. Its job is, is to like, well, it has many jobs, but when it comes to a close relationship, like it's looking to know where that person is, when you're going to see them again, right. It's Mm -hmm. making predictions based on how often you see them and when you're supposed to see them next. And so it doesn't make sense to the part of your brain who has gathered all of this data that says, okay, you know, at six o'clock when the garage door raises, that is your person, mm-hmm. right? That this just is. Mm-hmm. And intellectually, you know that they died, but your brain has to relearn and get enough mm-hmm. exposure to the data that shows that they aren't where your brain expects. Mm. The weather is getting warmer, so it is time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now that I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortless, effortless, less, yeah, effortlessly chic year after year like uh, premium european linen dresses blouses and shorts from 30 doll hairs washable silk tops timeless 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more the best part all quince items are priced 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands i can confirm this i'm actually wearing quince pants (gasps) right now you are they are so they're they're loose they're breezy these babies have a button a fly drawstring and elastic in the band so i can like i can dress them up i can dress them down yes they are they're the perfect 
pant for summer and I'm really comfortable as hell in them. Honestly, I am wearing the Quince 14 karat gold earring loop right now. Oh my God. I know. I think it's so cute. It does not tarnish. It is so comfy and I have sensitive ears so I'm really loving this for my body. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Kelsey for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Kelsey to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Kelsey. Are you looking to cut back on alcohol this year? <laughs> you are talking to two sober Sallies. You know Zach and I love to drink recess zero-proof craft mocktails because it's a guilt-free way to unwind. It has 0% alcohol made with real fruit, only 25 calories or less, and it is sweetened with agave because y'all know I got that sugar addiction. It has incredible flavors. One of my favorites is the grapefruit Paloma. The Paloma is actually one of the last drinks I was drinking when I was drinking alcohol. So this is like a nice little nostalgia moment and it still feels really fun in my hand. And there's no reason we should be missing out on the partying either. It's such a good replacement for alcohol, a great drink for having in between alcoholic drinks, unwinding at home, at dinner parties, chilling on the couch. It is endless. Get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash Kelsey. So you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences them to be for you to experience that congruence where it it actually makes sense right Right. and because because we don't understand that our brain has to go through that process it's really easy to think you're crazy right right it's like right why did i just pick up the phone to text him again like i know i know mm. like is there something wrong with me right Mm. why does it feel like this isn't my life and they're just on a business trip Mm. well it's because your brain is relearning Right. The new reality. And it's not going to do that based on one exposure to new data, right? It's got to happen multiple times over and over and over. And then eventually what, what you know intellectually feels true in your body and you stop Mm. rolling over in the middle of the night and thinking they should be there and wondering why they're not. It really, it makes a lot of sense. Right. When you think of it as like building new neural pathways, right? Like you had paved this this path in the snows for so many years in your marriage and in your routine. And it's like, well, now that that attachment is ruptured, we we're going to, our brain is going to keep walking that path in the snow looking for sanity. Yeah. And it's actually, it's the most confusing process when it's happening to you. If you don't know to expect mm -hmm. it. Also, I don't think we do a very good job of preparing people for sometimes that the grief fog that we can experience where all of a sudden it feels like there's cotton candy in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so then you can really start to question, you know, if you're, you're struggling to remember things or you're, you're struggling to read and retain, or, you know, you, you put your keys in the pantry or the freezer instead of where you normally put them, or you forget to pay bills or, you know, you just, you don't have the same level of cognitive functioning necessarily that you had before. And it's not universal, but if it's happening to you and you didn't know that that's a very normal part of grief, it's right. very concerning. Right. Cause we're made yeah. to believe again, that there's like a cycle you go through steps one through five and then like, you're there, you're done mm-hmm. again. And, you know, yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about like the waves of grief where it will, mm-hmm. you know, hit you out of nowhere or, and I'm making air quotes cause often it makes a lot of sense when it hits, it, it just might not be as obvious. Mm-hmm. It's that like the brain is trying to acknowledge an emotion and it will, it will come out the truth will out yeah. of your body, whether you were, you know, in public at the grocery store or lying in bed, like it will, 
it wants you to feel things. And I, I love how you kind of mentioned that. And I, I wanted to go back to that of like, what yeah. tips do you have for dealing with grief when you're stuck in that numb or empty feeling? So, okay. So numb and empty is kind of different than like grief grenade and, and like triggered. Right. So I think mm -hmm. it, it kind of depends on where you are. So if you're early on in grief and I hate to even put timelines on there because it can be so different, sure. but to remind yourself that it, it's, there's nothing wrong with you if you are having an intellectual experience where you know it's happened, but you aren't feeling it as deeply or as painfully as you think you should. Mm right? And just mm. to show yourself grace and remind yourself that sometimes the body works in ways that we don't fully understand and just be like a protective mechanism. This is just the part where, you know, my body tries to protect me from the full impact of this. And it doesn't mean that I didn't love them. I don't have to judge myself for it. There's no amount of emotion I'm supposed to be feeling, right? Whatever I'm feeling is okay, even if that mm. means I'm feeling numb. So I think that mm. can be very useful. Then when you get back to the point where you are where I was. I call it a grief plateau where mm. you're kind of through that early acute grief and you're back to functioning, but yet you aren't, you aren't back to really living, right? You're surviving, mm. but you're not thriving kind of cliche, mm -hmm. but that really is what it feels like. And I view it as like, if we stack up all of the emotions, you know, from the lowest vibration to the highest vibration, from like the least desirable to the most desirable, Sometimes what, where we end up, I, I think personally life is meant to include the entire range, right? Like a full rich human life involves joy, ecstasy at the top, and also despair and agony at the bottom, mm -hmm. right? And it's two sides of the same coin in a way because we don't have any context for joy and despair if we don't, or for joy and ecstasy if we don't have agony and despair, right? Sure. So we, we need to have all of it. But where we can find ourselves is in this like band in the middle. I call it the stagnation zone. Where in effort to avoid negative emotion, we, we start limiting what's possible for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So maybe we start using behaviors to get away from emotion. So maybe we start, mm -hmm. we start working a lot, right? Or we start mm -hmm. shopping a lot or even traveling a lot or drinking or, mm -hmm. you know, eating. We can do lots of things to get away from negative emotion, to try to, to numb it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we stop taking risks. So maybe it's, it's a relationship grief and we don't want to experience that again. Right. So, mm -hmm. so we don't get back in the game because we're afraid that we're going to get hurt again. So right. we're, we're doing these things to prevent ourselves from feeling negative emotion, or maybe we have a new career aspiration, but we don't let ourselves live into it because we might be disappointed. We, it might not work out. Mm -hmm. So we're doing all these things to prevent negative emotion. And then what we have to remember is that what's also happening then is we're also then by the very nature of avoiding negative emotion, we're also preventing the higher scale positive stuff. So, so that's when we get in this band in the middle, mm -hmm. right? And what I see is the number one way to break out of that, and nobody likes me when I say this, but is to be willing to learn how to feel your feelings, Ooh, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> when you realize that the, the negative emotion that you are avoiding isn't as bad as you think, when you actually have mm. the muscle of allowing a feeling to flow through. So I make my mm. clients practice it. I teach them how to do it, and we do it at least 100 times. Nobody likes I it. I mean... I, but I'm really, right? If you're like, okay, <laughs> well, yeah, it is not that hard. We, I can walk you through the way that I teach it. I mean, I think there's many ways to teach it, but if you know that the worst thing that can happen to you is a feeling, 
and you believe in your ability to allow a feeling to pass through, you don't need to stay in that stagnation zone anymore, right? You will put yourself out there again and you will start fully living and you will lean into discomfort because you know that that's the worst of it is the emotion. But what are we Mm. sold in this, in this culture, right? We're sold happiness. You should be happy all Mm -hmm. the time. So, Mm -hmm. and, and did anybody model for us how to allow an emotion? No, they told us how to resist them and how to avoid them. And they showed us how to react. Right. But they didn't model, at least nobody did for me. Nobody modeled for me. Hey, this is how you let a feeling flow through you. And this is why feelings can't hurt you. And you can actually be good at feelings. Right. And so when we develop that skill, crazy. Yeah. I would love to walk through learning how to feel your feelings, but real Mm -hmm. quick, I want to take a quick break and we'll be right back to learn this very secret, exciting technique on feeling your feelings. We'll be right back. Wow. What an ad. And we're back. Okay. So you got to give us your secret. We're talking about learning how to feel your feelings. And this is a, this is a big subject I see on TikTok actually, where it's like, they teach you, they're supposed to say, you need to feel your feelings. And it's like, okay, no, but then no one gives the you the actual tools of like how, and, and once I feel them, how do I self-soothe in a way that's healthy? So I'm actually, yeah. this, I'm going to sit up for this because I'm ready. Okay. So there are two ways that I love to do it. And it really just depends, but I think either tool is amazing. I will not teach the first one because it's too long, but it's tapping, emotional freedom technique. So you probably oh, know that your listeners tapping. probably know yes. that. Love tapping. So that, yes. that's one of my favorite tools. And I, and I love it for so many reasons, but it can just be done anywhere. You can do it very inconspicuously, even if you're just tapping mm-hmm. you know, on your collarbone point or on the side of hand, I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. As you're allowing a feeling and it creates calm in your nervous system and it really just allows it to flow through. But the way that I teach it that um, really just happens in your mind and body and nobody notices you're doing anything is I call it the now feeling process now in O W and it's easy to remember. And so it's three steps and it really only takes about a minute and a half, by the way, for a feeling to process if you're actually paying attention to it. So the N in now stands for name. This is Mm -hmm. anger. This is sadness. This Mm. is loneliness, whatever it is. You just give it an emotional label And honestly, you don't even have to do that as long as you recognize that you're having a feeling. It doesn't even have to be in any way an intellectual experience, but this is anger. And then you open Mm. up to it. That's the O in now, open, which is to say, do the exact thing, the exact opposite of what your body wants you to do, right? Mm. When your body perceives a negative emotion, what it wants to do is close, right? Mm -hmm. It wants to like go in, like fetal, like Mm -hmm. curl, Um, And so we do the exact opposite of that, which is give it permission to be there, open up to it in whatever way that is for you. So for me, that means I drop my shoulders, I open my chest, like I literally open my body to the experience. Mm. And then I say, yes, like I give it permission. Mm. This is anger. You have permission. I'm open to this experience. It's kind of like, you know, if you went into labor and you had a contraction coming and you just decided that contraction shouldn't be there. (laughs) <laughs> probably not going to help you. You can't fight that. Right? Yeah. What do you th- no, you can't fight it. So same thing here. So why do we keep fighting it? So let's just breathe it in, right? So you open up to it, you breathe it in, you say yes, whatever that means to you, but you open. So you name, open. And then the W just stands for witness, which means all you have to do is turn your attention to your body and watch where in your body those vibrations are showing up, right? So what part of your body do you notice? that that emotion is in. And then you just put your attention there and you just see what you can 
observe about it. So, mm-hmm. and, and anything counts and it's not right or wrong, but the questions I like to ask myself are like, okay, where is it? So many times it's in my throat. So many times it's in my chest or in my gut. And then what is it like? Does it have a color? Like, is it dark? Is it light? Does it have any sort of shape? How much space is it taking up? Is it the size of my fist or is it the size of a bowling ball? Right. Does it feel like it's contracting or does it feel like it's expanding or growing? Mm. Um, does it have any sort of rhythm to it? Like maybe it's really slow and, and kind of lifeless or maybe it's really fast and buzzy. Was it, what is it actually like? What does it make me want to do? So instead mm. of telling myself more iterations of the story that created the emotion in the first place, right? I'm not looking for more reasons to feel angry. I'm not, I'm not Mm. telling myself I shouldn't be angry. I'm just Mm. noticing what the felt experience of anger is like in my body as those Mm. vibrations flow through, right? Like, so if, if feelings Mm. are vibrations, vibrations are energy, energy flows through, right? We just got to get out of its way and watch it do its Mm. thing. Mm. And and we're like totally not judging ourselves as it happens. We're just open and right. watching, witnessing. Right. And I swear to you, it's it's the what what we associate with emotions that we think is awful is so much less about the actual experience of the emotion and so much more about our resistance to it. Ugh. Speak on it. That is that is so yeah, true. We, I always say the anxious anticipation is always worse than the thing itself because often so it's a much relief. Worse. Our body keeps the score. You know it once out. So, much so if there's a way yeah. to put it into something that is non-judgmental. I mean, you were perfectly describing like somatic tracking, yeah, which I it. have a hard time because it's hard for me to be non-judgmental about it. It's hard for me to just mm-hmm. witness, mm-hmm. you know, if it's like mm-hmm. dark and it's heavy, I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. annoying. That's annoying to mm-hmm. me. Like mm-hmm. I'm annoyed by mm-hmm. that feeling. So how do I, how can I work on that non-judgmental feeling without also maybe and I don't know if you experience this, but like feeling shameful, like, well, if I'm not feeling as sad anymore, does that mean I don't miss him or oh, I don't a whole different love thing, him? Yeah. I know. You're like, girl, that's its own podcast. <laughs> it, 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 but it's so valuable to even understand that even that is a protective mechanism, right? I think so. Like if you go back to that scale of emotion that I was talking about so often, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, anger or blame or judgment, it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the emotional scale or even just use your own concept of what emotions you believe are desirable and undesirable, powerlessness is way less desirable to humans than anger. Anger is powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to feel powerless. And so even when we're feeling some of those emotions we don't like, if we ask ourselves, if I let go of this, is there a downside? Sometimes there is at least an unconscious downside, right? If I let go of being angry because I have no one to blame, including myself, then what do I actually have to feel? Well, I might have to Mm. feel powerless. I might have to acknowledge that bad things just happen and there's nothing I can do about it, Mm. right? And and humans don't like that. Humans don't like that. But no, so, but it makes sense. So like, we can be compassionate yeah. about ourselves. Be like, oh, that this is just the part where you know a part of me thinks that there's actually value in holding on to this anger, and that's okay. And that's right. what I love about tapping. Is it's so uh-huh. easy to tap through stuff like that because you're really just acknowledging the truth of how you feel and tapping on the points. And mm-hmm. it doesn't even you don't have to kind of keep bringing yourself back to what's happening in your body as much as you just have to keep articulating it. 
Mm, yeah. And to your point of, of humans don't like that, that certain phrase, I think another one that mm-hmm. kept coming up for me was like, everything happens for a reason. Mm. How do you feel about that phrase and how do we reshape it? <clears throat> so here's how I feel about that phrase. <laughs> It doesn't work for many people. Listen, if it works for you, you'll know because it will feel good. If it doesn't work for you, you'll know because it won't feel good. And so that's what you want to pay attention to. I think the reason people say things like that, and I heard like, you're young, you know, you'll find someone else. He's in a better place. (laughs) This was all part of God's plan. Like these are all the the well-meaning things that people say. And I think the reason they say them is back to, you know, why we're so terrible at grief. We don't have the capacity for negative emotion. And even, mm-hmm. I'm going mean, to use negative in air quotes. I don't even think there really is such a thing. But but we don't have the capacity to feel okay when other people around us don't feel okay. Mm-hmm. And so because we don't have that capacity, we don't have that muscle, we try to say things that we think might make them feel better because ultimately if they feel better, we can feel better. Mm. So I get why people say it. And, and that right there is how to avoid saying, minimizing things to other people. Ask yeah. yourself, am I trying to make them feel better and, and therefore right. make myself feel better? We're, we don't, nobody wants to be made f- to feel better. You just want, right. you just want to be witnessed, right? Oof. To have somebody with you and be like, yeah. yeah, this does suck. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm so sorry this happened. It sucks. Right. Not they're in a better yeah. place and at least they're no longer suffering and everything happens for a reason Oof. and it's all part of God's plan. Right. Right. Most people I, do not I'd be remiss that. if I know, no, I've never heard someone that's like, you know what? You've changed my mind. You're right. right. I don't know what it is, but I, I'll figure right. it out. Now but, that I'm, brought, but I'm so that happy this happened now that you've told me. Right. It's, I feel exactly. amazing about it. Um, I'd be remiss to, if we didn't bring up, uh, the fact that your podcast and your story really has, um, a very special perspective of being a mom as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. um, my, I I've gone through an experience where someone in my family passed and my mom had to be the one that told their children. And mm-hmm. I just remember being like, Oh, you're a freak of nature that you're able to do that. I thought there was something wrong mm-hmm. with her that she was able to so bravely and calmly. I was like, that's not a thing you should be okay with doing. And now of course, in mm-hmm. hindsight, I'm like, you know, everyone has their process for her strength mm-hmm. in that moment was what got her to do that. But when you're a mother, where do you even begin to connect with a child on grief who might not even know what grief is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you meet them where they are developmentally as best you can. So, you know, my kids were 12 and nine and they were in very different places. And, you know, for my daughter, what she was suffering with was the knowledge of all the things she had lost in the future. Right. Mm. So she could see, you know, Hugo was going to teach her French and Hugo was going to teach her how to barefoot water ski and, you know, all of these things we were going to do. And so she was grappling with what she lost in the future. My nine-year-old, it was his first realization that people you love die. Like, yeah, they can be taken. And so he was immediately then worried that I would die. Right. And he, I remember him saying something to me like, mommy, if you die, I just want to die a couple of seconds later because I don't want to be you know, I don't want to be here if you're not here, basically. Right. So 
so there's no one size fits all. There's no, you, you know, this is how you deal with it with kids. It's you're watching for, you know, where are they struggling and not do you take their pain away, but how can you help them develop the muscle of mm-hmm. allowing themselves to feel how they feel and comforting themselves based on how they feel. Right. And not mm-hmm. sugarcoating things and not, I hate it when people say things like, well, that'll never happen to me. You know, you don't have to worry. Mm. You're safe and that will never happen to me. I'm not going to die or I'm not going to die for a long, long time. Like, let's just be honest with kids. We don't know, but right now we're, we're okay right now, Mm. you know, and we can teach them how to handle their own feelings and allow their own feelings by, by role modeling it and by having open Mm. conversation and also by not hiding it, you know, Mm. by not acting. If we, if we give them the impression that we're doing great and amazing, and we never show them that we're having negative emotion. What does that tell them? They can't. Right? If they're having <laughs> negative emotion, it's a problem, right? Or right. that emotions are something to hide as opposed to right. let's, let's be honest about it. Let's normalize it. Let's tell, let's tell stories and support one another. And the goal isn't to be happy all the time. The goal is to be mm. honest. Mm. Mm. And I, I, I want to wrap up a little bit with talking about why your podcast is so important because I don't think there are those specific resources for a situation that uh, is being a mom and uh, that, that, that need for something like this. So if Mm -hmm. some listeners here are resonating with what you're talking about, they know someone in their family, they are a mom themselves, they've gone through grief. What can they expect to hear on your podcast? Yeah, I mean, as you can tell, I love talking about grief. I love talking about post-traumatic <laughs> growth. I love, I love talking about, I mean, how do we learn how to feel? How do we learn to think thoughts on purpose and create on purpose and feel more empowered? And that's the point of the podcast. So it's, of course, designed for widowed moms who have gone through a loss like this. But also, I get emails from people all the time who are just so grateful to learn about grief or so grateful to learn how they can support other people. Um, you know, the reason I created it and the reason I do this work is that when I went looking for resources, I couldn't find everything I found was depressing or Mm. not relevant to me. Widows to me meant women in their, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Like I was 40. Where are the widowed moms? Where are the, you know, Mm -hmm. find me those people. And so I think there's also just such value in knowing that you aren't the only one. There are other people mm. going through what something similar to what you're going through, even if you don't know them because they aren't your next door neighbor. Mm. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I do have a podcast uh, quiz yeah. too, that I, that I always offer. Mm. Um, if somebody's looking for grief support and they don't really know what kind of grief support they need, I have a quiz that kind of helps you identify where you are and what you're struggling with, and then gives you specific podcast episodes to start with based on where you are and what you're struggling with. I love that. Um, so people can take that too. Yeah. I, it's a, I, it's I would coaching love, with I'm going to go take that right now. Yeah. Yes. I was yeah, going to say, for, can you tell people? Yeah. Forward slash grief support. And it's just a free quiz. And then we send you emails that say, okay, these are the episodes we recommend first. Oh, well, Krista, I, like you said, have learned so much or like even things that may not directly apply to my life with grief in terms of like a losing a loved one 
I have plucked many nuggets here. You know, there's sometimes there's just things people say that like you'll never forget for the rest of your life. And I've gotten so much not only from my personal experience, but also with other people in my life that I love that might be going through grief. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing because just like we acknowledge there's not enough of it, there are not enough resources. And I'm a bitch that loves a girl who talks about taboo stuff in case you haven't <laughs> noticed. So I'm really grateful to have met you and thank you for sharing your story. Tell the people oh, where goodness. else that they can follow you. We said it was Krista Saint Krista Coaching. Yeah, Coaching, coaching with Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A dot com and all my social links and everything are there for the Widow Mom Podcast. Perfect. That'll all be linked below. Coffee Dons, thank you so much for this conversation and we will see you next week. Thanks, Krista. Thank you.